You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. How is everyone doing today? Oh, good. I guess we're all on the same level. I'm feeling a little low energy today, so normally I'd be like, how are you doing? And then you guys would be like, all right, let's try to match that. But I'm kind of chill. You're kind of chill. Let's just be chill today, you know? It's okay. I got a turvis with water. The bears are playing later today. Why am I up here? Oh, yes, it's to preach to you guys. My name is uh, Russell Dietrich. If you don't know me or we haven't met yet, I am on staff here with Illini Life. And um, if you've been visiting with us for the past uh, month, you know that we are in the midst of a sermon series called Second Look. And what we've been doing over the course of the past four, three weeks is we've been taking a second look at, at different topics in the Christian faith that some have... Uh, labeled as um, reasons to believe that Christianity is either unreliable, out of date, or out of touch. Really, it's just been breeding a spirit of distrust amongst the culture with Christianity. Our three pastors, Pastor Wayne, Pastor Fred, and Pastor Casey, uh, they've all preached during this series, and through them, we took a second look at the Bible We took a second look at the rules and the law. And last week, we took a second look at sin, shame, and guilt. And we've been kind of re-examining our our paradigms and our assumptions about these things. And this week, we're taking a second look at the Holy Spirit. But, you know, if I'm being honest, um, I, I feel strange, right, just jumping into the Holy Spirit without kind of establishing... Um, where we're all kind of standing in terms of the Trinity. And uh, the Trinity, you know, it ain't no joke, right? Uh, That's probably a seven-parter, probably slightly boring sermon series. Uh, It gets real technical. Um, So we're just going to jump right into that. So um, we'll be done by three. Stick with me. We'll bring in some pizza. So just kidding. Um, but, uh, so the tension is that we're not taking a second look at the Trinity, right? We're taking a second look at the Holy Spirit. But when you're looking at the Holy Spirit, you're kind of forced to reckon with this concept in our faith. Um, so at the bare minimum, I want to publicly affirm the Trinitarian doctrine that as Christians, we believe in one God as three persons, Father, Son, and, hey, the star of the day as affirmed by both the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed. Now, I want to be helpful for you young people, and I thought I'd give you a very relevant contemporary illustration. You get it? All right, let's be honest. This illustration, like all illustrations, it falls short. But um, I think it was Miles. He was like, oh, that's the modern-day uh, St. Patrick. That This is our, our three-leaf clover. So, uh, power, you know, Ameri- yeah, we're doing good as a country. So <laughs> Now, uh, 
The doctrine of the Trinity, right, it is uh, inherently confusing, and, and it's, it's hard for us leaders to tackle. So I, I think a lot of the times we just sort of set it aside. It's there, we believe it, and, and we don't mess with it because it makes our brains kind of seize up and go, what, one thing that's three things, and they're separate but not, uh, you know, and people have died thinking about it. Um, I hope that's how I die. On my deathbed, I'm just thinking of the Trinity. Take me. Take me, Lord. Anyway, um, but because of this confusion, I think we as a culture, Christian culture, we've developed this coping mechanism, right? And the coping mechanism is to latch on to one single person of the Trinity. So um, what I'm going to do is I, I've kind of laid out three hypothetical churches that overemphasize a single person of the Trinity, and we're going to kind of see how that falls short and the consequences of that. So we can just throw that slide up. All right, so Church A, you have a, a church that emphasizes the Father at the, while kind of putting down the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the tendency of this church is to be prone to legalism, right? They're all obedience and no grace. And in worse forms, these churches can sometimes begin to deny the divinity of Jesus. They begin to say Jesus is not God which as Trinitarians, we cannot compromise on this. Jesus is God. That's what makes his death on the cross so effective as an atoning act. So next, you'll have a church that emphasizes the Son over the Father and the Spirit. And this is kind of where I grew up, kind of in junior high and high school. Um, And what this was, was faith with no fruit, or what I called fire insurance Christians. So you place your faith in Jesus, you had your you know, State Farm insurance card, and you're good, right? You die and you'll go to heaven. But between getting your insurance card and dying, uh, Jesus, it, he'll forgive anything I do, so I don't really need to change, right? On the other side of that, sometimes the churches that overemphasize the sun, um, these are the churches that overemphasize activism to an unhealthy degree. They, they see Jesus as a beautiful example for being socially active and fighting for justice. But since there's no emphasis on the Father or the Spirit, there's no need for repentance. There's no need for sanctification, becoming more holy through the power of the Spirit. And these churches tend to be more liberal in their theology. And then lastly, you have the churches that overemphasize the Holy Spirit at the expense of the Father and the Son. And I would say these churches are addicted to the experiential and the miraculous. And sometimes if cool stuff isn't happening, they can start to doubt and worry, well, maybe God isn't real. Or worse, maybe God isn't pleased with me. Maybe something is wrong. And also, the, uh, these churches can sometimes develop a spiritual pecking order. People that have had certain experiences or maybe have certain abilities or gifts, they get lofted up while the lowly masses get, get put down. People are made to feel inferior if they don't speak in tongues, if they don't prophesy, if they don't have the ability to heal. So I'm arguing that these three churches are doing it wrong, right? So what's the best way to do it? Well, I, uh, I you know, have been looking at Paul's writings, and he's really into run-on sentences. So I, uh, I gave it my best Pauline run-on sentence. So this is, this is the church we should be. Yeah, yeah, baby. Church T, I call it. We're not church A, B, or C. We're church T. The T stands for 
Yeah. All right. The church, this church, Church T, is motivated to obedience by the grace which is offered to them by their loving Father through His Son, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, and through His incarnation gave us the perfect example of social activism. His servanthood. Jesus served us to the point of death on a cross. And three days later, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And upon his ascension to heaven, Jesus gave his church unfettered access to the same Holy Spirit. So they can now experience God in a deeply personal way and through this power, minister in his name. You think a period could go here, but no. Semicolon. (laughs) There is no pecking order because they are all royal priesthood having the same access to the same spirit, God himself. Church T, everybody. Can we give it up? So the healthiest churches are the ones that strive to be Trinitarian. These ones exist to adore and to worship all three persons of the Godhead. And we make every effort to never neglect one. And if if one is falling into the shadow, we need to, to pull them up and exalt them. So now I want you to ask yourself, okay, where do I place myself? Am I someone prone to overemphasize the Father, the Son, the Spirit? Or or maybe you're just full-on Trinitarian. You're just doing it well, you know? Church T. Hashtag, can we hashtag that? Hashtag Church T? No, someone said no. Okay. (laughs) I understand. It was a worthwhile uh, idea. Um, All right. Here's the thing, though. I think for a lot of us, actually, we're probably none of these things. I think we're going to fall into a fifth option. And, and I think this is sort of our functional Trinitarianism. And it's called Father, Son, and Holy Bible. I think we're really good at um, acknowledging and worshiping the Father and Jesus, right? I, I see us talking about them. I see us discussing them. I, I see us thinking about them and reading about them. But I don't always see us giving this same treatment to the Holy Spirit. And I think this, the reason is, is the Holy Spirit is amorphous, right? It, it's, it's complicated. He's, he's, the baby's upset, I'm sorry. Um, he's a Trinitarian, I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, I, I think the, the Bible being a permanent authoritative text for us about God it's a more of a stationary thing where the Holy Spirit is kind of a wild and free thing. Um, so I think it's been easier for us to deify the scriptures than to just go ahead and worship the already existing deity, the Holy Spirit. And ironically, the Bible was authored by the Holy Spirit as he inspired the authors of scripture to write what they wrote. So we're replacing him with something that he helped create. The Bible was never meant to be God, right? We're not supposed to worship the Bible. Instead, we are to use it, use the Bible as a reliable, authoritative, profitable, trustworthy account about our Trinitarian Godhead. And the Holy Scriptures is where we find countless stories, countless testimonies about the Holy Spirit. The Bible is meant to be used for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It was never meant to act as a surrogate God. Francis Chan put it well when he said, 
that the Holy Spirit has become a forgotten God in much of mainline American Christianity. So with this sermon, I'm, I'm hoping to call us to action to reinstate the Holy Spirit to his rightful spot in the Godhead. And maybe for some of us, for some of you in this room, this isn't going to be a second look. This is going to be a first look for you. And I hope the first look is a sweet look and a look that is life-changing. Why do we have this tendency? I I, I can't say exactly, but I, I think for all of us that have accidentally replace the Holy Spirit with, with the Holy Bible and our functional trinity, we're all going to have a different reason. And I, and I thought for, for a, a little time it would be helpful for me just to share my own story with this and kind of what happened to me. Um, so basically, let me just go back to when I was four, if that's okay. So my first memory ever was uh, going to preschool. And we had to get into a minivan. And I remember thinking, man, this door is very heavy. And that was my first memory. <laughs> Pretty good, right? Uh, my sec- so that's my second memory then uh, was I was at church. I'm probably four. You know, stuff's happening. You're four. Not totally sure what's going on. And these ladies are running up and down the aisles, just screaming in like, not ecstasy, but like ecstatic, but not painful. It was just like, you know, strange. And uh, that was the church I grew up in, right? When, when we were really little, we went to a, a, a church that was really into Holy Spirit, and that was kind of one of the ways that it was expressed. And um, Later on, as I got a little bit older, around second grade, we, we switched to a different church that was the exact opposite. Um, that one was kind of on the north side of Chicago, just uh, kind of multi-grain bread, if you will. And then we went to a church out in the suburbs of Chicago, which I like to describe as white bread. So um, it, it's functional enough for a sandwich. It, it's, it's not the healthiest bread, but it's not cake either. So... It'll get you through the day if you eat um, 10 pieces of it. Uh, And that was kind of this church. And this church was not about the Holy Spirit at all. So I kind of bounced back and forth between these two worlds. So that's kind of my background. Now, through high school, um, a lot of my leaders at the church I grew up in, um, they didn't emphasize the Holy Spirit. And then um, I, I got to college. I got involved with iLife. And then Later on, I, I met some friends at a different church who were really, really, really into the Holy Spirit. They were into the sign gifts, um, speaking in tongues, which is either speaking in a foreign language you don't know or speaking in a heavenly tongue. They were really into, like, miracles and healing and, and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, man, this sounds kind of cool. And um, one summer, uh, I met a guy, and he's like, yeah, I, uh, I speak in tongues. I was like, whoa, you do? Can I hear like, yeah, you can hear. Um, so like me and him and this other guy, we snuck into a chapel at night. And it was like darkly lit. It was really like, it was nice, like very nice. Kind of like this room. And uh, he just starts singing in tongues. And I'm like, whoa, that was beautiful. I didn't know what he was saying. My other friend didn't know what he was saying. But it was just like, wow, um, I want to do that. So I was like, okay, well, you know, the Bible says I can pray for these things. So I prayed, right? I prayed for a whole year. God, I want to speak in tongues. 
And um, it never happened. And, you know, I, I kind of got disillusioned. I was like, ah, this is dumb. Maybe, maybe it's, it's not real. Okay, so those are the three memories. Ladies running up and down the aisle. Me feeling kind of rejected and held out on by God. And then after college, here's the, the story of stories. So um, these same friends, uh, me, I was hanging out with uh, another friend later on. This is uh, recently after I graduated. And we get a call from one of our friends from down in Texas. And she's like, guys, I've been able to make pennies stick to the wall. We were like, what? She's like, yeah, and in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I've, I've made pennies stick to the wall. He's like, you got to try it. They're like, oh, gosh, let's do it. So we, we grab some change, put the penny on the wall. In the name of Jesus, penny, you stick to this wall. Falls to the ground. Okay. Try it again. Warm up our hands. Get, come on, Lord. Penny, in the name of Jesus, you stick to this wall. Ah, it's stuck. Oh, my gosh. We freak out. It's stuck to the wall. We're like, God is real. He's so real. Penny, hallelujah. We were stoked. Let's do it again. Let's try a quarter. Quarter. In the name of Jesus, you stick to that wall. The nickels and the quarters had a harder time than the pennies. But we were excited, right? It was encouraging. Our spirits felt built up. And then, you know how these things go. You see something on YouTube, and then some other guy on YouTube's like, oh, I'm going to debunk that. So um, we get sent this other video, and uh, the guy in the video is basically like, hey, try doing that coin thing on a mirror. And we're like, all right. You, you are ye of little faith, man. So we took our pennies. Penny, the name of the Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, you stick to this mirror. And the penny didn't even stick a little. It didn't, it was, the penny was never going to happen because of a thing I'm not totally familiar with called science. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I guess what was happening was, um, like, through our bodies, heat, and through the, uh, like, the metal, and then the paint, which was kind of like a sticky paint, I guess, it was just sticking to the wall. Um, and I, I, I mean, like, it's funny now in hindsight, but in the moment, I was literally crushed. I was like, man, this sucks. Why, why won't God let me stick coins to the wall? And um, I think for me, like, it is really funny in hindsight, but... Um, I think for me, like, it really kind of hurt my relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, he won't let me speak in tongues. He won't let me stick pennies to the wall. And I have this association with the Holy Spirit and crazy people running up and down aisles screaming. So I, I realized that I've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater with the Holy Spirit. And I think all of us that are those functional Trinitarians, Father, Son, Holy Bible, I think many of us have some memory or some wound like mine that led us to be like, I don't know if I can place my faith in the Holy Spirit. Let's just put it in something a little more stable. 
Let's put it into the Bible. Millard Erickson, a, a theologian, in his book, Christian Theology, he states, the Holy Spirit is the point at which the Trinity becomes personal to the believer. The Holy Spirit is active within the lives of believers. He is resident within us. He continues, through the Holy Spirit's work, we feel God's presence within, and the Christian life is given a special tangibility. The Christian life is given a special tangibility. Doesn't that sound good? I I want that, right? Because I think what I've been noticing in my own life is that as I neglect the Holy Spirit, I go through this thing called spiritual lethargy. And my faith feels dead, and I feel fatigued, and I feel tired, and, and I feel thirsty. And I think the Holy Spirit is water for that dryness. And if you're feeling dry, I want to appeal to you, maybe the source that you need to go to is this Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to do with the remainder of our time. We're going to look at who the Holy Spirit is, and we're going to look at what he does. And my hope is that by knowing these two things, we'll be able to to re-embrace and just exalt the Holy Spirit rightfully in its place with the Godhead. So, um, if real quick, can we put up that resource slide? So, um, you see this little camera icon? I want, I'm encouraging you guys to take a picture of this slide because um, you're not going to have time to write this all down. But uh, this is where... After this, you're going to be like, man, Russell just like, he didn't do that good job. He kind of scratched the surface. I want more. Um, This is where you should go. So start with the book of Acts. Um, That's like Holy Spirit City, like every other story, Holy Spirit. And then the Apostle Paul, he mentions the Holy Spirit in his letters 149 times. That's a lot in like not that many letters. So... uh, Great ones to start with, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians. And then the Bible Project, um, they did a four-part podcast series, and they have a great five-minute video recap. Um, Those three things I'm hugely indebted to. And then um, Forgotten God by Francis Chan is a great book. And then uh, the Bible Project recommended Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by Gordon Fee. I've not read it, but I think as the Bible Project recommends, we can um, trust them. So... I hope you guys will look into this on your own and don't just let me do all the work for you. So, 149 times, that's crazy. That must mean it's important, right? All right. So, who's the Holy Spirit? Um, put your hand up if you can and like put it in front of your face. And then think of your favorite word and then say that word, Banana. So say a word. Just say a word. I want everyone saying a word. Banana. Chicago Bears football. Bears. Polish sausage. I'm from Chicago. Aaron Rodgers is bad. Not at football, but at other stuff. Okay, so did you guys feel that on your hand? What did you feel? Jonathan, good job, my man. You felt ruach. Say that with me. Ruach. Ruach. That's Hebrew, right? It's all very throaty. Um, That what you felt, that was wind or breath. This word, ruach, say it again, ruach. 
You're becoming Hebrew scholars today. Um, this is also the name of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Holy Spirit, the star of our show today, he makes his appearance in Scripture very, very, very early. Uh, the second verse, actually. Uh, it goes like this. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there, if you like Hebrew, uh, Hebrew's written right to left. So there's the word in Hebrew, ruach. Say it again, ruach. Now, um, this word, spirit, ruach, wind, breath, it, the Bible's also written in Greek, right? So you have the Old Testament in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek. Uh, the, the Greek name for spirit is pneuma. He's saying pneuma. Doesn't have the same kind of gravitas. It's ruach, but it's what we got. So pneuma, ruach, both words have that root of wind or breath. The reason for this is because it's a testament to the fact that the Holy Spirit, his breath is what gives us the ability to then breathe out. The Holy Spirit is the supplier of all energy to all creation. When we feel that breath on our skin, do you guys want to do it again? No? Feel it. Ruach. Try it. Ruach. I hope when you're like driving or like just walking, like in class next week, you're like, Holy Spirit. Um, oh gosh, I lost my place. There's one, Alan. Um, okay, so the, the Holy Spirit is the, the, his breath is what gives us the ability to breathe, right? He's the source of all energy. Now, this is an easy point to misconstrue, right? We're not saying that um, because the Holy Spirit gives energy that all energy is God, right? No, that's pantheism. We're saying that all things rely on God's energy exists. So it's not that the tree is God. The tree is not God. The tree is a tree. But the tree is severely dependent on God's energy, his breath, his ruach. Now, if you were a Greek person, you would have said pneuma, his pneuma. Maybe that's a better way to say it, pneuma. Um, so the first point is actually a negative, which I don't like to, I'm kind of negative, but I don't like to be negative when I preach, but we got to be a little negative. So first point, Holy Spirit is not a mystical force. Star Wars fans, I'm sorry. Another way to put it, right? Energy is not God. Rather, it is God that supplies all energy. Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. So if he's not a mystical energy force, what is he? Well, if you've been listening astutely, you may have been noticing that I've been referring to the Holy Spirit as a he. And the reason for this is very deliberate. The reason is because the Spirit is a person. Now, um, this concept of the Spirit's personhood, I'll just be honest with you, is confusing to me. So I'm going to again let Millard Erickson do a lot of the heavy lifting for me. And if we could just put up that verse... um, Millard's going to reference this verse in this passage I'm reading. So if you guys could just listen closely with me. Here's what he says again in his book, Christian Theology. The first evidence of the Spirit's personality is is the use of the masculine pronoun in representing him. So since the word pneuma, which we have highlighted in orange for spirit, is a neuter, it doesn't have a gender, and since pronouns are to agree with their antecedents in person, number, and gender, we would expect the neuter pronoun to be used to represent the Holy Spirit. So you would expect it to be a non-gender specific pronoun to represent a non-gendered word like pneuma. 
Yet, in John 16, 13 through 14, we find an unusual phenomenon. As Jesus describes the Holy Spirit's ministry, he uses a masculine pronoun, ekeonos. You guys want to say that one? Ekeonos. Come on, you were a little more excited about ruach. Get that same excitement, ekeonos. There you go. You're Greek scholars now. Um, so either John is, is making a, a huge grammatical error twice in, in a short span, or he's deliberately choosing the masculine pronoun to convey to us the fact that Jesus is referring to a person, not a thing. I asked um, one of my friends, his name is Tim. Uh, we were talking about this concept of the Holy Spirit's personhood. And he encouraged me to do this thought experiment and, and ask. So just ask yourself, what is personhood? I think for me, I've really tied my notions of personhood up with having a body. But as I thought about that more, I, I began to realize that the only person of the Trinity that had a body was Jesus. Both the Father and the Spirit are bodiless. So if it's not a body that makes a person, well, it is. What I came up with was that a person is self-aware, has a mind, and has a will. And I said mind over brain, right? So just take that into account, a mind. The Holy Spirit has all three of these things, and because of it, we appoint personhood to this third person of the Trinity. And if you're wondering why this is important, it's because the, the Holy Spirit is an equal with the Father and with the Son. And all three... If the Father and the Son are assigned personhood, we must assign personhood to all three. As well, it affirms the personal nature of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to have a personal relationship with this guy. And the only way to do that is if he is a person. So in addition to being a person, I just wanted to restate that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. In essence, what we're doing is we're building a systematic theology of the Holy Spirit. And, and a verse that can help support this in the most plainest way is in Matthew 28, where Jesus gives his great commission to the disciples. And he says that you're going to baptize new disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and in the Holy Spirit. This happens in several other locations throughout the New Testament where we see the Holy Spirit being associated with the Father and with the Son on a, basis, on a basis of apparent equality. So the Holy Spirit is not an energy force. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is eternal God. So now that we know who he is, let's examine what he does. To be sure, the, the Holy Spirit, if you read through the book of Acts, which I really hope you'll do, um, he does a lot of stuff. He creates, he holds together creation, he comforts, he counsels, he helps. It was challenging to narrow it down, but I, I went ahead and picked three things that, that the Holy Spirit does. So for that first thing, let's look briefly at 2 Corinthians 2, 1, 21 through 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is he indwells you. This is revolutionary. 
Upon the moment of your salvation, the Holy Spirit is deposited inside of you as a guarantee that you will never lose your salvation. We can have confidence in our faith because we know it's not going to be me. It's not my exertion. It's not my will that's going to get me to the end of the line. It is the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence and power that is going to carry me over that finish line. And this is why the new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. Before Jesus died on the cross and defeated death with his resurrection, God's presence dwelled in temples built by man. But with this new covenant, his place of residence is here within your very body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, God, honor God with your bodies. God dwells inside of you, believer. This truth revolutionizes how we act, how we eat, how we drink. If you go to Joe's and you're a believer, guess who's coming with you to Joe's? The Holy Spirit! And he might help you dance appropriately, but he also might convict you of sin, you know? He's going, whether you want him or not. He's tagging along. He's that ever-present chaperone, you know? Um, but, you know, that's kind of funny. Ha ha, God going to a bar, cool. Um, but the, the best part of that actually is that we now have unfettered access to the living God. And for those of us that struggle with accepting our bodies, God is making a bold claim. He's not just saying that your body is valuable, right? He's saying that your body is sacred. Your body is good enough to be his residence. That's nuts. So with the Spirit indwelling us upon conversion, we now have unfettered access to him. And this leads us to the second thing the Holy Spirit does. He guides you. I, I have, I think, my favorite verse from Acts to, to show us this point. It's really short, and I, I love it. So it, it says... Um, Acts 8.29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. The end. I love that verse. It's so simple. Hey, Philip, go to the chariot. Stay there. I can do that. I can go to, well, okay, not chariot. I could go to a, a Passat, right? Russell, go to that Passat and stay there. Yes, Lord, I will. You could do that. Anyone could do that. I mean, a baby might not be able to do that because it's a baby. But once it grows and can walk, it, it, even a small child could go to a chariot and stand by it. Not for long because of their attention span. <laughs> but anyone, anyone can go to a chariot and stay near it. The Spirit gave Philip a very simple instruction, and then what happens is he meets a eunuch. This eunuch's interested in Christianity. He gets to lead this eunuch to Christ, and then he gets to baptize the eunuch all because he went to a chariot. In my conversations with you guys, I I sometimes hear a sense of despair because you feel like God is using other people more than he's using you. And my question today is, what chariot is God asking you to stand by? What are the simple day-to-day things you could be doing that would put you in position to do the Lord's work? Some of you might say, "Then, well, I never hear from God. 
And unfortunately, the author of Acts doesn't clarify how Philip hears from the Spirit. Was it an audible voice? Was it that still small voice in your heart? Was it um, some guy that doesn't get acknowledged? I was like, hey, Philip, uh, God wanted me to tell you, stand by that chariot. I'm not going to get mentioned in the Bible, but I did my part, so it's cool. <laughs> we don't know, right? We, we just don't know. It doesn't say. But I, I think what we can take confidence in is that the Spirit is speaking. So I, I think the Spirit speaks directly to our spirits. And it'll feel different than kind of your brain talk, you know. Um, at any time I've experienced it, it's always felt like a voice separate from the brain voice. I think the Holy Spirit also speaks most plainly through Scripture and most reliably, right? Through the, the words of the Bible, the Holy Bible, which again, we're not to deify, but we are to exalt and, and love and cherish and use. Um, the Holy Spirit is speaking in very simple English, instructions and commands and inspirations for you to follow, for you to do the Lord's work. It's right there in the text. And I also think the Holy Spirit uses your church community to speak to you. So have you ever had that moment where like three people tell you the same thing? Have you guys experienced that? You're like, oh gosh, three people are telling me to go to Fall Retreat. <laughs> okay, Fall Retreat's a bad example because we're all going to tell you to go to Fall Retreat. Um, I don't know a better, I don't have a better example, so I'm not going to give you one. Um, but, like, unless those people are, have all, like, had a backroom meeting with, like, cigars and they're like, hey, let's go, uh, let's go tell Maddie to, to uh, go to Fall Retreat and, like, make her think it was random, but it's not. Um, listen to it, right? If, if you're hearing multiple things from trusted uh, people in your fellowship, it's probably God trying to speak to you through them. So I, I think he also uses us. So the Holy Spirit indwells, the Holy Spirit guides, and lastly... And this one's really fun. The Holy Spirit empowers. Who wants power? JD wants power, my man. The rest of you are like, oh, fine. I'll just use my clicker. I don't need power. Can the power charge my iPhone? Because then I'm interested. X18, my friends, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus promised us power. And not only that, Jesus also told us that anyone who believes in him will be able to do greater things than him. Think about all the things Jesus does. And unless he is lying to us, we have the ability to do greater things. And to be blunt, I don't see this Holy Spirit swagger in our church. I don't want us to become arrogant Holy Spirit jerks, right? That's, that's not what I'm saying. Because I, I do think that is one way this could go. But I do think we have put the Holy Spirit in a box. And we need to let him out. Allow him the space to do great things in your life and in the life of our community. I also think that the Holy Spirit's power is the number one way to protect yourself from burnout. Many of you doing the Lord's work are burning out and getting tired. Make sure your wires aren't crossed. Make sure that you're drawing from the Holy Spirit and not drawing from yourself. Because if you draw from yourself, you could probably go, I don't know, I could probably go seven months. You know, it's pretty good, right? I think uh, Fred, Fred could probably go seven years. because he's a, he's a bad, bad man. And then, you know, he's like, oh, seven years, man, I got to I gotta tap into the Holy Spirit. And he's ready for another seven. So, um, 
So just, just make sure your wires aren't crossed, right? If you're feeling burned out, uh, it's easy to want to like blame and, and accuse like your surroundings or things. But I think the first thing you should analyze is where am I drawing my power from? Am I drawing it from the Holy Spirit or am I drawing it from myself? Or worse, if you're in a codependent relationship, are you drawing it from another person? Romans eight eleven. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Has your vision of God become impotent? Have you, like me, with the coins on the wall and not being able to speak in tongues, have you let disappointment or fear or rationalism, University of Illinois, limit what the spirit is able to do with your life? And you know what the most amazing power the Spirit gives you? It's not speaking in tongues, right? That will pass. It's not healing, because there's going to come a time when we won't need to be healed anymore. It's not even prophecy, right? Because there's coming a time when we will be in God's presence, and he will speak to us face to face. The most amazing power the Holy Spirit gives you is the power to be more like Jesus. The indwelling spirit sanctifies you and makes you more and more like the sun. And as we become more entrenched in the spirit and grow in our Christ-likeness, we start to see these things happen inside of us. We start becoming more joyful, peaceful, patient, good, faithful, gentle, self-control, kind. And and who does that describe? Jesus. Jesus. And what's the greatest thing that Jesus gave us? He gave us his love, his love to the point of death on a cross. And now the Holy Spirit empowers us to be like Jesus, to love each other and to love his people, and most importantly, to love him. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. We know who the Holy Spirit is. We know what the Holy Spirit does. And what is our response? Our response is to welcome him. And when I say welcome him, I don't mean that he's outside of you, right? Because he isn't. Welcoming him is acknowledging the truth that he's already there. And you're just ignoring him. And then for those of you that that haven't made that decision yet, to place your faith in Christ and to be deposited with that gift of the Holy Spirit, I would just ask you to consider making that choice today. Receive that free gift. Receive that free inheritance. Let him guide you. Let him empower you. Let him indwell inside of you. We're going to sing a song now in response, and the lyrics say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Let's make this song our prayer this morning. Let's make it our prayer this semester and this year. Please stand and sing with us.